Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Well, back in 2015, I had starting strength coach Matt Reynolds on the podcast to talk about barbell training. At about the same time, I started getting online coached by Matt about for my own barbell training. A year and a half later, I've made some incredible gains with my strength and hit PRs I never thought I'd be able to attain. Thanks to Matt, I was inspired to enter my first barbell competition back in April, and I deadlifted 533 pounds, squatted 420, and shoulder pressed 201 at the event. And perhaps best of all, my body stayed healthy, and I haven't been injured in the process. Well, except for one injury that was not barbell training related. We'll talk about that in the show. Because guys frequently ask me about my training because I've been posting my progress on Instagram every now and then, I brought Matt back on the podcast to walk listeners through the programming and nutrition plan I've been following for the past 18 months. Uh, we discussed how Matt's customized my programming throughout this time and why he started me out with the novice starting strength program, even though I'd been barbell training for a few years. We also dig into my setbacks and how Matt adjusted things to help me break through plateaus. If you've been thinking about barbell training or are currently barbell training and are confused about how to program, you're going to get a lot out of this episode. Consider me your human guinea pig. After the show's over, make sure you check out the show notes at aom.is slash Reynolds, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Matt Reynolds, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me again, man. We've uh, upgraded out of your closet. Yeah, we're not in my closet today. We, you are starting a podcast. So you, you're in Tulsa, uh, and you're doing a podcast yourself. And you have this pretty fancy studio here with fancy <laughs> equipment. So we are not in my closet. Like last time, like you're a big dude. Yeah, I'm kind of a big dude. You, you're a big dude now. I'm bigger now. Yeah. Uh, so it was a tight squeeze. But um, great to have you back. Thanks for having me. Um, I'd like to talk a little about. Uh, where we picked up from last time. Last time we talked, you owned a gym, yep. like an actual physical gym did, yeah. in Springfield, Missouri, one of the largest barbell strength gyms in the country. You no longer are an That's owner true. and you've transitioned completely to online coaching. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, you don't have to go into details about the, the specific transition. Why did you, what was the transition like from coaching in person to coaching online? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I sold my gym at the end of 2015 in uh, December, 2015, and started online coaching full time. Um, I honestly didn't know how well it was going to go in the beginning, and so it was one of those deals where I, I had made enough money from the sale of the gym that I had at least uh, a handful of months that I could I could do this online thing and see if it worked. And uh, 
And so I, I had a pretty good uh, number of clients already. I, you know, we, I had been working with you uh, since I think October of, of 15. And so I, I had maybe 30 or 40 clients at the turn of the year or so in January 2016 and, and had enough, uh, you know, enough capital in the bank to basically just put my time and devotion in this full time. And so I uh, wanted to see how it would go. And, and I, I poured into the online coaching and and uh, started doing that full time. I, you know, I, I had I had certain issues with online coaching. Online coaching is different, right? And so um, in-person coaching allows you to make changes or fixes or cues in real time with your clients. Um, and online coaching doesn't allow you to do that. The, the degradation with in-person coaching versus online coaching is that it occurs, I can make changes to your form uh, in session to session from one session to the next rather than from rep to rep. And so there is a little degradation there. And so I wanted to try to do it better than I thought it was being done and, and really provide the best service I could. And so I poured into that full time and it started to grow and uh, it grew, it grew well. One of the downsides of online coaching was the, was the platform. And so most people that use online coaching, online coaching to this day is a, right now is a, is a big, really probably multi-billion dollar industry. And, um, and one of the problems is that most people use a platform that is some combination of email um, with with probably spreadsheets, Google Docs or, or Excel type sheets. And and I did that and, and did it for a while. But as it grew, I realized that, you know, I would wake up in the morning and have 125 emails that all needed responding to and, and videos to break down and whatnot. And so I, I recognized that the platform wasn't very scalable. And so in, in April of last year, April of 2016, I started to work on a platform that would be uh, scalable so that we could go from, from 60 or 70 or 80 clients to to 200 or 300 or 500 clients without any loss of service. I wanted service to increase. And as the business grew, I wanted the, the, the personal back and forth between myself and my clients to continue to get better while the administrative duties for both client and coach got less. And so that's really what I focused on. And that's, that's really been the source of our growth over the last year. All right, let's talk a little, let's break that down about online coaching a bit and how it's different from in-person. You mentioned a little bit with in-person coaching, you're a starting strength coach, barbells, and form is really key part Absolutely. of the starting strength uh, yep. philosophy. You want to make sure you're doing the, the lifts correctly so that it's efficient. You can lift as much weight as possible without injuring yourself. And Ripito himself has always kind of bashed online coaching because as you said, you can't get that in-person coaching where people can, you can get cues in real time saying you need to you know, lift with your butt more, shove your knees out. Correct. So how do you get around that with online coaching when you're not there with your client? How do you do that form breakdown and give those cues that they need? Yeah, it's a great, that's a great question. So I, first, we'll even back up one step further. Most people who do online coaching, what they call online coaching, is in fact not online coaching. It's online programming. You pay a fee and you get a, you get a printout of an Excel document. And that's not really coaching, that's just programming. And maybe there's even diet attached or whatnot. But but for us, the thing that we really wanted to bring to the table was the actual coaching portion, which when, when we define coaching through starting strength, we say coaching is getting an, uh, a lifter or an athlete to move the way I want them to move based on a specific model. So I've got a model that starting strength is set up. We know the correct way to squat and the correct way to deadlift and to bench press and to press. How do I get my online clients to perform those lifts as close to that model as possible with the obvious drawback that I'm not standing there in the room to get them to do that, right? And so what we do is we teach people, one, how to video themselves on their cell phone. So for, for all of our clients, all they need to do online coaching is an, is an iPhone or an Android. We teach them the angle to video themselves at. So for example, for videoing the squat, we video from about hip height from uh, and kind of equal between the back and the side. So really where a coach would stand. 
And then they video their lifts. So they, they get their programming on a, on a very clean, beautiful app called FitBot that we love. And then they get their programming there and then they can upload their video and send it to their coach. And so they video themselves squatting and the coach has ways to look at, we, we look at those on our computer. We break those down with different uh, photo editing apps. We can, we can screenshot it. We can point, you know, your knees are here and they should go forward. And so, so there is certainly a difference. The difference is that I can't do it in real time. Uh, that is a, that is the, uh, that's a consequence of online coaching, but a benefit of online coaching is that I can pause your lifts. I can watch your lifts at 25% speed. Things that the human eye can't see in real time because it's too fast, something like a power clean or something that's fast where there's just a little bit of knee sliding forward in the bottom of the squat that somebody might miss in real time. I can watch your squat over and over and over again, 10 times, 15 times if I need to, pause it, uh, slow it down, screenshot it, show you what I'm seeing. And so the visual cues become actually far more important in online coaching than they are than they are in in-person coaching. In-person coaching is primarily an auditory experience. I'm telling you to do this. And I, I utilize things like cues, which are short reminders of something I've already taught you. So uh, hip drive, middle of the foot, knees out, eyes down, things like that I will say in online coaching or I would say in in-person coaching, but in online coaching, I can actually use visual cues. I can show you when your knees come forward. And I can't do that in real time in-person coaching. So there are both advantages and disadvantages to both. Uh, and it's worked really, really well. It slows down the form fixes. Online coaching will slow that down a little bit from what you get in real time. So if you come and see me, you, you drive to Springfield, Missouri and, and get a session with me in person, I can really clean up your squat or your deadlift or any of your lifts quickly in an hour session. In online coaching, that's going to be slowed down over the course of several sessions, you know, from, from maybe four, five, six, ten sessions. But what we've seen from our experience is that, that people after, after they've worked with us for several weeks – have tremendous form in their lifts just based on, you know, you just take nice, clean, easy cues. Uh, you give them something that's still assertive and easy to remember, something that's not a lot of text, something they can walk into the gym on the next session and remember, this is what I'm trying to do. This is what my coach told me. So that's the difference really between in-person and online. Right. So it just takes longer to clean up yeah, stuff. Yeah, it takes right? a longer to clean up, right. but it's at a fraction of the cost. Well, yeah, that is like because you're not getting that in-person session. That's another benefit of online coaching. Yeah, correct. I mean, good coaches are expensive. And depending on where you are in the country, starting strength coaches are going to run anywhere from $100 an hour to $200 an hour, depending on where you are in the country. And online coaching for us costs around $200 a month. So for what you would get only two hours of in-person coaching for, you get an entire month worth of coaching through starting strength online coaching. So it, it works very well. All right. How many clients do you guys have now? So we're, we're running uh, between three and 400. So over 300, uh, under four, and we're growing quickly. So we, we grew uh, about 20% last month. We're up about 13% this month. So uh, it, it continues to grow quickly. Uh, we have 35 starting strength coaches that work for us now all over the country. And, and one of the other great advantages of online coaching at, at its most basic foundational point here is that if you don't have access to a great coach in your town, and most people don't, you have access to a, a great coach online. We, we have about 30% of our clientele is international. And so we only have three or four international starting strength coaches. And so for these, these clients who are all over the world that have never had access to an, to an in-person starting strength coach, they now have access to a starting strength coach from the privacy of their own home, from their own gym, from their garage gym. They can now have access to a starting strength coach at a fraction of the cost that it that would be 
for in-person coaching. So, you know, um, you, you have a coach in Tulsa for the first time in, uh, in ever. And so just this year, you've got a coach in Tulsa. But before that, you didn't have access to a coach. Uh, Oklahoma City doesn't have access to a coach. Uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming doesn't have access to a coach. Nashville doesn't have a coach. So you've got some major cities in the United States that don't have a starting strength coach. And so these people have now have access to a coach wherever they are. And certainly people who live in rural areas who would never have access to a starting strength coach now can. Right. So besides the form checks, you do do programming, but it isn't just an Excel sheet. What I, I mean, just based on my work with you, it's very customized. You, you take a look at the videos. I give feedback, like how that session felt. And then you adjust things oftentimes on the fly for my next session, right? Yeah, correct. So, you know, one of the things we, we wanted to really move away from cookie cutter anything. And so for us, when you sign up for our service, you fill out a pretty in-depth questionnaire. Um, it's going to take 20 minutes or so to fill out that questionnaire. You send that in, and then I really pour over that questionnaire and try to pair you with the best coach possible for you. So I look at, at demographic and geography and what your goals are and how advanced of a lifter you are. And I pair you with a starting strength coach that's going to work really well with you. And then they start to work with you. You'll do a test workout for us. So we usually just have you do a basic test workout of working up to a moderately heavy set of five on the major, major lifts. We break down those videos and then your coach will start to program for you. That program is done again on a on an app called FitBot that runs on your phone. Um, you can take your phone into the gym with you. You can see your program. And again, it's specifically tailored to you, your needs, your advancement. So we have clients from absolute beginners who have never, literally never touched a barbell before. All the way to advanced powerlifters. I mean, we've got a guy that squatted 850 pounds raw, you know, has over 500 pound bench pressers. So we, we have the entire gamut of advancement of lifters. You go in the gym, you pull up your app, you see what the program is. So it might say, Brett, you're going to squat today. You're going to squat uh, 365 pounds for two sets of five. And you go in and you squat your 365 pounds for two sets of five. You respond back on the app how it went. So I squatted my first set was easy. Second set was harder than I thought it would be. First three reps was easy. Next two reps were hard. And you complete that squat. When you do, when you complete the, the lift and then when you complete the, pro, the complete workout, it then pings my phone and it tells me, Brett McKay has finished his workout. Now I can go on and see what your workout looks like. I can watch the videos from the workout. And within 24 hours of your workout, your coach, which for you is, is me, will break down your videos completely within 24 hours so that by the next time you train, you have things to go into to work on in the gym. So it's a really nice, it's a really nice service. So yeah, we, we do complete programming, complete uh, video breakdown, form coaching. And then we also do a, a fair amount of nutrition work with our, with our clients as well. And so it's really a complete package. Yeah. Let's talk about just online coaching in general, because some people might not, who are listening, might not be interested in barbell training. Sure. Besides, you know, being an online coach yourself, you also consult other individuals who want to be online coaches in other fitness domains. True. What do you, what should some, if someone's looking for online coaching for say long distance running, CrossFit, obstacle course racing, yep. whatever it is, what, what should they look for in a, in, a, in a good online coach? Sure. Well, the, the first thing I would do is I, I would figure out who the best coach is in general. Like I would just, the, the best in-person coaches are still going to be the best online coaches if the platform is there for them to do that. And so uh, one of the nice things about the online world is that it's opened up the opportunity for people to have access to great coaches who wouldn't already have it. So if you've got a great triathlon coach who lives completely across the country on the opposite coast, you potentially could hire this person to be your online coach. That that would be first. I would, I would look for people who just are generally known as the best coaches in the sport. And then two, does that person offer true personalized coaching? Or or what they do 
80% of online coaching out there is just cookie cutter programs. So, so you know, hey, here's a here's a program for powerlifting. Here's a program for half marathons. Here's a program for whatever it is, right? Um, that's, you know, the, the, I guess they're, for some people who are looking for a really cheap price point, an entry point of maybe $30 or $50, they, you just have to recognize that's not online coaching. What you're doing is you're buying a program. And then I think ultimately coaching is at whatever sport you're doing, whatever thing you're training for has to come down to form. So if I was going to, if I were going to hire somebody to do triathlon coaching, I actually want to be able to have someone who can watch me run, swim, bike. I want someone who could actually walk me through what the form looks like. If I, if I want to do distance running and somebody's trying to teach me how to do uh, pose running, I want to make sure that do it. I, I ought to be sending videos of what my feet, what my ground striking looks like. And so really that's, that's what I'm looking for is not something that is a, an Excel document or a Google doc sort of sheet for $50 or even an auto pay of 25 or 30 bucks a month. I, I want coaching, right? So as long as we understand that coaching is different than programming and just getting a cookie cutter program, the reality is, is if, if you want to train for a half marathon, that's very different than a, a 19 year old kid training for a half marathon that, that's run cross country at his school for the last four years. And that's even further different from a 45 year old overweight mom who's trying to try to train for a marathon or a half marathon just to try to get in shape. So so a beginner marathon or training for a marathon program is not going to work. It just doesn't work across all fields. And so one of the things we try to do at Starting Strength is we, we very much differentiate between beginners, novices, intermediates, and advanced. The programming looks totally different. Uh, we want the programming to be simple. What I, what I say is simple, hard, and effective. It's, it's as simple as it can possibly be for that advancement. And then we're going to get a little more complicated as we grow. And so that would, that, would, that would go across all sports. If I'm hiring somebody to be a swim coach or a run coach or a bike coach or, or whatever those things are, or a movement coach, or I want somebody who's going to actually coach the movement patterns, not just the program. Right. Well, that's, uh, that's awesome. I thought it'd be useful to talk about my experience with you sure. while online coaching, because I think it's a very indicative, because I get a lot of questions about it as well. Yep. Uh, people asking me, because I've been posting stuff on Instagram and people ask me about my training and they're like, what, you know, I, I did a deadlift at the starting strength challenge, whatever yep. it was like 533 pounds. And yep. I always get questions like, what was the program sure. you used to do that? Because I think people think if Brett did that, if I did exactly what he did, I will deadlift 533 sure. pounds too. But that's, as you said, there's a difference between novice, intermediate, and advanced. So yep. let's talk about how I got to that point. Sure. Uh, so we started, I started working with you in October of 2015. Yep, correct. And what was the the strategy? What kind of programming was I doing at the very, very beginning? Well, you did the, the novice starting strength linear progression program. And why did I start out with it? Because I've been, I'd been lifting. Sure. Like, I mean, I, I think that's another thing people need to understand the difference between like a novice, intermediate, advanced. Because I think a lot of people think, when they see novice, they think, well, it means just a rank beginner. Yep. I've been lifting for five years. Sure. I don't need to do that. So I'd been doing barbell training for a while, but you still started me with that. Why is that? Barbell training is the one place where you want to be a novice as long as you can. Right? Like what's ingrained in our instinct to not want to be a novice. I don't want to be a novice guitar player. I want to be an advanced guitar player. The, the problem is, is in barbell training, novices make the greatest gains. The very the simple thing that novices can do that nobody else can do is they can add weight to the barbell every single time. And so when I first got you, I knew your form was decent, but not great. We had some things we had to clean up in your form. So what I did was I just backed off your weight a little bit from where you were. So, you know, I took some of the weights that you were lifting for maybe one set of five. I backed it off 10, 15%. I made you start doing weights for three sets of five. And we just added weight every single time. So you squatted three days a week. 
you alternated your benches and presses, and you deadlifted three times a week. And we did that as long as we could, which wasn't that long. But as, lo- as long as you can add weight every single workout, why would you do anything else, right? So the person that makes the most gains is the person who is able to stay on a novice linear progression program, like starting strength, for as long as possible. So, we, you know, we have, we have people that we see stay on this for four or five, six months. For you, it took two months. So after two months, you couldn't add weight every single workout, right? You started to, and most people will do this, you started to crap out on the press first, right? So you weren't able to keep, continue to add two and a half pounds or five pounds to the press. We couldn't go up anymore on the press. And then the bench press died out. And then eventually the squat and the deadlift did, which was great. So we got you to a point where you could continue to make progress, adding weight every single workout, every single workout. I mean, literally you would do weight on Monday. You would go up on Wednesday. You would go up again on Friday. You would go up again the following Monday and so on and so forth for two months. And when that slowed down, we had to spread out your progression to weekly progression. And that's where we introduced the concept of Texas method. So you did kind of a, uh, what I would say, a, a kind of a, a little bit of a Texas method bastardization. You're, you're old enough that doing things like Texas method utilizes five sets of five squats. And I thought that was too much for the volume for you, especially, especially compared to, you know, I look at the amount of work that you do on a daily basis and, you know, I've, I've come out and visit with you at, at your house. I know like you're, you're a high stress guy. You've got lots of work to do and you're, you're an ambitious guy. You're, you're, you're running the website and an entrepreneur and business owner. And so I knew that five sets of five for a guy, your age and with your recovery ability was probably going to crush you. And so we backed that off a little bit and we did uh, three sets of five. One time we started alternating after a few weeks between upper body and lower body. And we still made slow, progressive progress. And, and we did that for several months. And we did that for most of the first half of 2016, making progress there. So that was the first two programs. Right. So Melissa, what would happen if someone, if they were a novice, right? They went to immediately to an intermediate or an advanced program. Because I think some people sure. just see like 531. Yep. And it's really popular. Sure. It's a great program. Yep. And a beginner like, I'm going to do that. It sounds awesome. Like, why? what would happen if they did that? Like, what would they be missing out on if they sure. went immediately to an advanced well, or an intermediate program? That's, that's, that's an easy, so 531 is an excellent program. It's a program that you make progress on. You basically hit fives the first week, threes the second week, singles the third week, and a deload the fourth week. So a, a backed off weight the fourth week. And so it's essentially a one-month-long program. So you're making progress. Essentially, you're hitting new maxes once a month. And so the problem with that is, is if you go in and say your squat is 175 pounds, which would we would consider for a, a normal weight male, somebody who weighs around 200 pounds, that'd be an under body body weight squat, 175 for for you know a single. You are still a novice, almost almost for sure. If you're in the five through one program, by the end of the five through one program, you might ha- you might actually squat 185. So you might have put 10 pounds on your squat in a month, which is progress. The difference between that and linear progression is I could have had you squat 175 on Monday the first week and 180 on Wednesday and 185 on Friday. So by Friday, you could have had the same progress and then 190, 195, 200. By the time you get to the end of a linear progression in the same month, you're probably squatting 225, 235 as opposed to 185. So it just an intermediate program slows down the progress. Now, to, to put things into perspective, I deadlifted 700 pounds for the first time in 2005. My current max on deadlift is two, is 725. It's 2017. So in 12 years, <laughs> I've put on 25 pounds on my deadlift, right? And if, if I had to eat dog poop every day for the next year <laughs> to deadlift 730, I would. That's the difference between an advanced lifter and a novice, right? Like a novice adds five pounds to his deadlift in two days. An advanced lifter adds five pounds to his deadlift in two years. 
or longer sometimes. Well, why is that? What's going on there with physio- with the physiology? Why can't you, as you get more advanced, why can't you, why does it take longer to increase sure. your max? Well, there, there's, several, there's several reasons. One is uh, you, you develop an efficiency of your, of your motor pattern. So in the beginning, as a novice, you're not super efficient. And so while you are certainly gaining contractile hypertrophy, like you're actually your muscles, the contractile portions of your muscles are actually getting bigger and stronger and you're able to adapt to that and get bigger and stronger, right? You think about how long it takes to recover from deadlifting 225 pounds, not that long. How long does it take to recover from 700 pound deadlifts? Significantly longer. How much muscle mass does it take to pull 700 pounds? What does it do to your to your central nervous system? You know, you, you just did a meet. You competed for the first time. You felt like you were run over by a truck for the first week, right? Why? Because you did nine really heavy lifts at the meet. And most people don't do that every day, right? So as you become more advanced, it becomes far harder to recover. We look at this cycle. We call it the stress recovery adaptation cycle. I stress the body with the workout, with the training. I recover from that and my body then adapts so that it can handle something bigger and greater and and tougher next time. Well, when I'm a novice, that entire cycle essentially takes two days. On Monday, I can squat, I can press, and I can deadlift, and it's hard for me, but it's ultimately it's not that heavy. On Tuesday, I basically recover from that workout, and by Wednesday, I have adapted to that workout, and now I can handle more weight than I did on, on Monday. As an advanced lifter, that stress recovery adaptation cycle might literally take 12 weeks to truly build up the fatigue and stress needed to be able to then recover from an intense amount of stress and fatigue and then adapt to something that's going to take me from a 725 deadlift to a 735 deadlift. So a 10-pound jump at that level is going to take a tremendous amount more stress, which then is going to take more time to recover from to elicit a very small adaptation of only a 10 pound increase. It's very, very difficult to do, but for novices, it occurs in a two day period. Right. So this is why if you see some really super strong dude on Instagram, right, pulling 700 pounds like you, following their program saying, hey, what program did you use to do that? Like, it's not going to be really useful for that person. As a matter of fact, most strong athletes get strong in spite of their programming and in spite of their form, not because of it. Right. The, the reality is, is that genetics are incredible for some of these guys. Sometimes performance enhancing drugs are incredible for these guys. And the combination of genetics and potentially drugs are something that most 35 year old listeners of Art of Mainliness don't want to do and can't do. Right. And rightly so. Right. I'm trying to get normal people generally strong. Right. So there's also a difference between like where you're at right now. You are when you came to me, you were not very strong. And you weren't in very good shape. And, and I wouldn't say you were necessarily unhealthy, but, but as we've worked over the last year and a half, you are now very strong and healthier than you've ever been. You can tackle anything that life throws at you, but you're also at a point where now you have to start to make a decision. You are strong enough today to tackle anything that life throws at you, right? And so you're healthy. You're not, you, you haven't dealt with hardly any injuries over the last year and a half. But now you have to make a now you have to make a decision. You deadlift five thirty five, to deadlift six hundred pounds to get even stronger. Now that's going to push more towards the competitive side and less towards the health side. So you might have to risk the potential of injury of whatever in order to reach six hundred pounds, right? So there's a difference there as well. And for most of your listeners, they just need to get generally strong, and generally strong is is strong enough. And at that point, they can decide, do I want to keep getting stronger and potentially 
risk injury or or even even health decline, right? So deadlifting 800 pounds isn't your body's not really made to do that. Right, but you should be able to deadlift more than 200 pounds if you're an adult male. Like that's not enough. My wife deadlifts 400 pounds and you've seen her. She's a totally totally normal looking soccer mom. She does she's not big, she's not strong. She's I mean she's strong, she's not muscular. She's not even that into it, but she deadlifts 400 pounds. So a normal guy to be able to deadlift 400 pounds, that's not a hard thing to accomplish for anybody. Right. So let's say you reach that point. Um, you make that decision, okay, I'm strong generally. Yep. Um, what, let's say you don't, you decide you don't want to lift anymore. Like you don't want to get, what, what would be the program for that? You, you, you get, gain a basic level of strength. What do you do after that? Point? So when you say you don't want to lift anymore, you, you, what you really mean is you don't want to continue to get stronger. Right. Exactly. You don't so want to like, lift. you don't want to, you don't yeah. want to deadlift 700 pounds, but you're totally happy fine. deadlifting 500. Yeah, that's totally fine. We can just do a maintenance program that, that holds your strength where it is. Maybe that's two times a week training two times a week for most people will maintain. It's difficult to make progress. At two times a week, we, we have some of our older athletes, so guys that are maybe 50 years old and over, that's that's a really blanketed statement, but depending on what your recovery ability is, most of our most of our adult males who are 50 and over will only train twice a week because they just don't, they don't have the, the hormonal capacity and the, just the, the wear and tear on their bodies, the shoulders and the hips and the knees can't recover to be able to train three times a week, so they might train twice a week. But for most guys, twice a week will maintain. And so we're still going to lift relatively heavy twice a week in order to maintain your strength. And what we're going to do is add other stuff in that you want to do. So like if at that point, if you want to do, you know, if you want to do mud runs or you want to play tennis or play golf or you have more time to do those sorts of things if you want to, now that you've established this base of strength. One of the interesting things about strength is, the, to me, one of the most interesting things about strength is of all the physical abilities. So if you think about all the physical abilities that you, that you could have, um, power and speed and agility and mobility and cardiovascular conditioning and all those sorts of things, strength is the slowest to build. It takes the longest to build, but it also takes the longest to lose. So you can get really strong. Like you, you know, you, it took you the last 18 months to work with me to get pretty dang strong. It takes a long time. You can't get this in a month. But if you didn't lift a thing, if you went on vacation for the next month, you went down to Mexico with your family, didn't touch a barbell and came back a month later, you're still pretty strong. Like, like you might only end up with, say, a, a degradation of 8 or 10% in your total strength, which would still leave you far stronger than the average American male. But cardiovascular conditioning is very quickly built and very quickly lost. So if I want to get in really good condition for, say, you know, you're going to go do a, a mud run or a venture race with, with your wife, you can get in pretty good condition for that in a, two or three weeks. But then if you also go down to Mexico for a month and you go hang out on the beach and you don't really do any exercise at all, you're going to come back and be really completely out of what we call shape for cardiovascular conditioning. So very quickly gaining, quickly lost. Because of that issue with strength, because strength is so slowly lost – then it's pretty easy to continue to maintain strength and hold it, especially as we get into our older years and we get into our 50s and our 60s. It's not that difficult to hold on to the strength that you have. You might not be able to continue to, to gain strength at 62 years old, especially if you've been lifting for the last 20 or 30 years, but it's not that hard to maintain. All right, so let's. Uh, I'll start off. I think it's important to say um, before I started training with you, my body weight was like 180, mm -hmm. 185. A year and a half later, I'm at I, I peaked at the competition. I was 226. Yeah. I weighed in at. So that's like 40 pounds yeah. of weight. And I, I haven't gotten really fat. No. I mean, there was times where I did get fatter. Yep. Um, we can talk about the diet component sure. of this part. The diet changed. Sometimes you would ha reduce my calories. Sometimes you'd increase them. Like, like I, was, I think one time I was eating 3,500 3, calories a day. Yep. So how do you, as a as a coach, determine whether a client should uh, increase or reduce calories? That's a great question. 
it comes back to the stress recovery adaptation cycle. If I can stress you enough that you can recover and adapt and make strength gains, then you're, you're eating enough calories. At the point that that stops, not stops for one day, I mean, everybody has a bad workout or two, but stops for a week or two, you're struggling to hit your numbers, then we've got we've to increase your calories. Your recovery is not enough, right? And one of the hardest things about a coach is I can control your workouts. And if you're honest with me, my clients are honest with me, I can, I can have a fair control of their diet. But things like outside stress, family stress, work stress, lack of sleep, sickness, we've been through all of those things with you over the last 18 months. That, that adds to that, that stress in the stress recovery adaptation cycle. So when I say stress, what I'm specifically talking about is the stress we, in, we, we put on the body during the workouts. But the body doesn't really understand the difference between the stress of a 400-pound squat and the additional stress that's added to your life in those two days between, hey, I didn't sleep very well. Hey, I've got a sinus infection. Um, hey, my kids were sick and they kept me up last night because they were, they were sick. And whatever those things are, I can't plan for those. And so I have to start looking at the stress. Is the stress recovery adaptation cycle working? Am I stressing Brett enough that he can recover and adapt? Or am I stressing him too much and I have to back off on the stress? Or is he recovering too little and we've got to increase the recovery, right? Some of those things are within my control and some of them are not. And so we started to look at your training. And while you were making progress, we we kept you at at pretty solid maintenance calories, when you stopped making progress and you started to get achy and you, we would know like you'd get lethargic and you you would lose some interest in, um, and I really don't feel like training today. My joints are hurting. My elbows are, okay, we've got to bump up your calories a little bit and we need to actually focus on making sure you get enough sleep so that we can continue to drive the progress and the adaptation. However, when things are going very well and you say, hey, I keep, I keep checking my waist measurement and my waist measurement is up an inch and a half. A lot of people think that starting strength is a way to get you fat. It's not. That's what everyone says. It's you're right. you're well, going to get fat. Yeah, of you're, course. Well, you're going to look like Ripito. He has right. a belly. A rip is rip is sixty. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and Rip likes whiskey, right? And so the thing is, and and here's the other thing: Rip's not really that fat. Like his his belly is as hard as a rock. That's a guy who's lifted his entire life. He's just got a. He's built an enormous amount of muscle. But it also, when Ripito talks about gallon of milk a day sort of diets, this was made for. For a 19-year-old kid that weighed 155, not a 37-year-old, 210-pound listener of Art of Manliness. That's not who needs to drink a gallon of milk a day. I've never had you drink a gallon of milk a day, no. right? Like, the entire time I've had you. And you've still gained 40 pounds. of. You've probably gained around, of the 40 pounds or so that you've gained, you've probably gained 28, 30 pounds of muscle and 10 pounds of fat. Now, if you think about it, if you gain 30 pounds of muscle and 10 pounds of fat, your body fat percentage still went down. Right. Right. So it's still because we added so much more lean mass. So so we just look at the stress recovery adaptation cycle. As long as we're making progress, we stay the course. When you get to the point where you feel uncomfortable with the waist size, you say, well, my waist was was here and it's up an inch and a half. I go, okay, well, let's back this off a little bit. Let's back off your carbs, especially back off your carbs on non-training days. That's why macros counting right. You know, you hear the podcast with, with Jordan Feigenbaum, good buddy of mine, Dr. Gaines. It really walks through all those details in that previous podcast you do with him. And that's that's really what it's the same thing. It's the same concept that I use for for nutrition. It's the same thing that Jordan does. So we talked about um, what we did for the first few months of my training. We did starting strength, linear progression. We moved on to a modified Texas method. Yep. Then you you switched me to this thing called DUP. Yeah. And I hated that. <laughs> it worked real well, though. It, it worked well, but I, I hated it, yeah, especially, it. Especially deadlift day. That was yeah. the worst. So uh, what is DUP and what's the thinking behind it? Sure. Is it an intermediate or an advanced? 
It's a good question. So DUP stands for daily undulating periodization. You can find lots. I did not invent daily undulating periodization. This is a this is a type of program that's been around for a while. It essentially, when anytime we're laying out programming, we can modify one of several variables. We can modify the intensity. Now, most people think of intensity as how hard was it? That's not what intensity means. Intensity means how close to in percentage to my one rep max was it? So really intensity asks how heavy. So we can modify how heavy it is. We can modify how much volume you do, and we can modify your frequency, how often you do it. DUP, daily undulating periodization, is a program that's very high frequency, relatively moderate intensity, or starts at kind of moderate intensity and works heavy over the course of the program. And the volume is is just moderate every day, but when you consider the amount of frequency that you're doing, it's a lot. And so I'll, I'll break it down, it's real simple. If we look at the four main lifts that we use for you, which is the squat, the deadlift, the bench press, and the press, I essentially had you doing all four of those lifts three times a week. You were squatting three times a week, you were deadlifting three times a week, you were benching three times a week, and you were pressing at least twice a week. That's because at the time we were trying to drive up your bench press. And what we'll do, the, the way we break each one of those down is one day you'll do those very heavy for low reps. So your heavy day is what we call power. So you might do squat power work, and that's things like eight sets of two, six sets of one, five sets of one. We've got your strength work, which for squat would be things like three sets of five, three sets of six, somewhere in that ballpark. Then we have your hypertrophy work, so that for squat, and it, and it could be a variation of the squat, or maybe even it's a leg press or front squat or whatever. Um, and that would be things like two sets of eight, three sets of eight. So we're gonna utilize different rep ranges to get different adaptations throughout the system. Now, to answer your question about, is it intermediate or is it advanced? It's kind of between. It's late, intermediate, early, advanced programming. Because the program takes about 12 weeks to complete. It's kind of a long three-month program, which would make it feel like an advanced program. But I really what we're doing in DUP is we're actually bringing up all facets of physical attributes that we want to bring up in the gym at the same time. So we're actually trying to increase strength and power and hypertrophy with all these different rep ranges at the same time. And that can be done as a late intermediate. But when someone is a, a world champion powerlifter, it would be very hard for them to do frequency that, that's that high. And even for you, as we got towards the end of the program, the amount of fatigue that you built up on DUP was a lot, right? And we have to start backing off. Okay, let's Let's get rid of the deadlift hypertrophy this week. Let's back off your squat strength. Instead of three sets, let's do two sets, right? To just manage that fatigue to make sure that you could recover and adapt. And this is where a coach would come in handy. Because if I were to try to do this by myself, I'd have no clue what I was doing. Yep. Like I would just be, um, I'd be trying to either try and do too much or do too little. Sure. So a coach is sort of there to let you know. Yeah, kind of I, hit, try to hit Amy for the sweet spot. Exactly. You know, one of the things that we use, and a lot of coaches use, is a, is a concept called RPE, or Ratings of Perceived Exertion. And what that is, is basically, so I ask you every day, Brett, how hard was it? On a scale of 1 to 10, right? You can look these up. On, we won't go through the details. But on a scale of 1 to 10, how hard was it? 1 being ridiculously easy, like I'm sleeping in my bed easy. And 10 was I either missed it or it was the absolute worst thing I've ever done. I, I, I wanted to die. I potentially pooped my pants in the middle of it, right? That's, a, that's an RPE 10, and that's the scale. And I use that not to program. So some coaches actually use RPE to program. I use RPE as a communication tool between my client and myself to make sure we're on the same page. So you do a set of squats, say you do you know, a set of five, and you do your set of five at 385, which would be a heavy, heavy set of five for you. And you come back and you say, that was an RPE 10. And I watch the video and watch the bar speed of your squat, and I say, actually, Brett, it wasn't an RPE 10, it was an RPE 9. 
or an RP eight and a half. It's my way of communicating to them like it actually theoretically could have been harder. Or I have clients do the opposite and they undershoot it every time. They say, ah, oh, it's an RP seven and a half or eight. And I go, no, 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 you might've had one more rep and it might've killed you. So that was an RP nine, right? So we can use those. And what, again, what we're looking at there is not the fatigue that is built up on a single workout. This is why a coach is so important because you would go into a workout after having say three weeks of loading heavy fatigue that you're continuing, your fatigue is actually building up in your system over the course of not one day or two days or five days, but multiple weeks of fatigue before I allow the fatigue to dissipate. So you would go in on a Thursday and you've got a squat and deadlift and you already don't feel that you're like, man, I already feel beat up and I've got to hit these numbers. And you're like, coach, do it. And I go, yep, you still got to do it. And then we get to a, a deload week where I, where I would actually incorporate an entire week of recovery-based training. And during that week, all of that fatigue would go away and recovery would kick in and then you would adapt. So remember, we go back to that stress recovery adaptation cycle is not a one-day cycle or a two-day cycle for you anymore. It's multiple weeks at a time. So I might take three entire weeks to build up your fatigue before I would give you a deload week and let it dissipate so that you could recover and then hit new numbers. I always like those deload weeks. Yeah, everybody loves the deload weeks. So after DUP, like, why did you decide to transition me from DUP? If I was you know, having so much progress with it, I sure. made uh, some incredible gains with that. Um, why did we transition to something else? What because would- you signed up for a meet. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, this, the best thing anybody can do for their own lifting is sign up for a competition. Or, or even if it's not a barbell lift. I mean, if you sign up for a triathlon or you sign up for a, a mud run, like your your training gets better that day because now you're thinking. And and also, rightly so, right? You're Brett McKay and you people who know you in the starting straight community. And, and you're like, man, I, I don't want to go and, and like ruin this and, 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 you know, ruin my name and my reputation. And ultimately, like... Probably people don't care, but like it, it, it makes it better that when you get to lift in front of other people, it makes your training get better. Right. Performance. Performance yeah. helps improve performance. Absolutely. Right. So what I did was I put you on an eight week program after DUP before your before your competition. Uh, it's a program uh, that we just call the high low, and it really stands for it's a it's a high intensity low volume program. So you've done all of this frequency and volume on DUP and built up a tremendous amount of work capacity. And then all of a sudden I dropped your volume through the floor and we got really, really heavy because I needed you to get used to heavy weight on your back for squats, heavy weight in your hands for deadlifts and press. And we prepared you for the meet, which is a day where you're you basically the competition. You had three attempts at your squat, three attempts at press and three attempts at deadlift. And they take the heaviest one of each and combine it for a total. And that's how they determine winners and your totals and whatnot. So I knew that I needed you to get used to, I on that Saturday, you were going to have to do three heavy squats, three heavy presses, and three heavy deadlifts in the same day. And that's difficult. And you remember, it's a long day. It's an eight, nine, ten-hour day. And a lot of people do fine through the squats, and then they get to the press, and they start to go, oh, man, I'm getting tired. And by the time they get to the deadlift, it's like, I don't care anymore. I just want the day to be over. And so a lot of it is mental toughness and the ability to be used to handling heavy weight over and over and over again. So that's, that's why I transitioned you out of DUP and into kind of a very heavy max effort sort of program. So I was doing things like one heavy rep yep. on like shoulder press, and then I would back off with like sort of a, I don't know how much weight, like you back yeah, me drop off. Set. So you drop might, sets. So you might drop 10 to 15% and do some drop sets for AMRAPs or a couple different drop sets. And then we also started to work supplemental lifts. So we started to look at like where you would miss your lifts 
So for example, on the press, we would do things like press starts where you would take uh, so when we say press, first of all, for your listeners, we're talking about like a military press. What most your what most your listeners would think of as a military press. So you would do a press, and so you're pressing around 200 pounds at the time, 185, 190, 195, somewhere there. I would make you put 210, 215 on the bar, take it out of the rack, and attempt to press it so that you could get used to handling heavier weight in your hands than you were used to actually pressing. And you would press it up, and it would you know it would stop about your forehead, and you would grind on it for a second or two, and it'd come back down. We rack it, so we would that would work the bottom of the press. And then we would also do lifts on the press where like we would put the bar in the squat rack at the safety pins, maybe an inch or two above your head where it was what started there and you would do press lockouts. You would just lock out the press. So we would also work the top end of the press. Now, again, this is an advanced or late intermediate sort of thing that we would do. I would never do this with a novice. There's no reason to introduce the concept of a supplemental lift, which is a lift that looks like the main lifts but it tacks at just a certain range in the lift. And so we, we would start to do that. We do that with all the different lifts, right? We would we do things like pause squats and box squats and rack pulls and deficit deadlifts and things like that to attack your specific weaknesses, which again is another reason why a, a cookie cutter program doesn't work because like on a deadlift, some guys have no problem pulling the bar off the ground and then they struggle at the top and then some guys are the exact opposite. That's you, right? You can pull the weight off the ground and then it's the lockout is slow. So we gotta get you better and better. Gotcha. So now, after the competition was over, did the competition, now I'm trying, like my goal now is to lose some body fat because yep. I gained a lot during that because I was eating a ton. Yep. Wasn't really doing any cardio during that time. Sure. So we were just really working on recovery. What sort of programming are we doing now? Yeah, so what, really it's a program that is going to just allow you to, to fully recover, right? So even though you, are, you were peaked for the meat, the meat itself is a tremendously stressful day on you. And it took uh, you know a week or 10 days to even feel back to normal after the meet. And so, so we incorporate, right now we're doing a four week program that's really a hypertrophy specific program, higher reps, lighter volume, building up work capacity, doing more circuits. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan in kind of traditional cardio. I mean, if you, if you like that stuff and you enjoy it, there's nothing wrong with it. But as far as uh, accomplishing the goals that we're set out to accomplish, which is to continue to get stronger and to, to lose some body fat, I'm not ever going to put you on a treadmill for 45 minutes. It just doesn't work very well. And so instead, we're going to do barbell lifts. We're still going to stick with the main barbell lifts and, and some dumbbells and kettlebells. And we're going to do lighter weight stuff for, for four weeks and higher reps and allow you to just recover and feel better and, you know, full range of motion movements. And then we're going to take your accessory movements and we're going to put those in a circuit. So for upper body, that might be, you know, pull-ups and dips and curls. And rather than doing all of your pull-ups and moving to dips and then doing all your dips and moving to curls, we'll do a set of pull-ups or chin-ups a set of dips, a set of curls, and back to a set of pull-ups or chin-ups, dips, curls. And we'll do that, you know, three, four times through, and that's going to get your heart rate going really good, and that's going to accomplish both the accessory work that I need to accomplish and conditioning, and it's going to do it in far shorter time because there's no rest. Because ultimately what I'm trying to do here is burn some fat, allow you to recover, build some muscle, some hypertrophy, and prepare you from a work capacity standpoint for your next actual strength program as we move into it. And, you you know, we'll pick your next meet, and we'll start to push that direction. What do you mean by work capacity? What is that exactly? Just, just, just the amount of work you're able to do in a given day, week, month, etc. right? So a lot of powerlifters, one of the reasons that powerlifters will get a bad rap, especially powerlifters, say, in, in like the 90s, when powerlifters all weighed 370 pounds or big fat guys that nobody wanted to, to look like, um, then we get to the point where they just lifted really, really heavy, but they didn't do a lot of additional work. And so a lot of times they would just go in like uh, there's a famous powerlifter named Mark Chalet. He's famous for basically going in and his workout, like his deadlift workout would be go in, deadlift for a max, 
leave. <laughs> that's, the, that's the whole workout. One rep, right? Work up to one. Now he could deadlift over 800 pounds, so he's really strong. And then, and then he would do squat day and it'd be the same thing. Work up on squat to one heavy single. Well, how much work capacity does this guy have? I would have loved to have seen Mark Chalet, and I could be wrong, but I would love to have seen him at a, at a meet that took 12 or 13 hours to get through. That's a long day for a guy that doesn't have much work capacity. So what I'm trying to do for you is build up the total amount of work you're able to do and do it in a way that doesn't super stress you out. So if I do a lot of volume, which is really what work capacity is, and I do it really heavy, so it's heavy plus volume, it's going to beat you up. Your joint, your elbows are going to hurt, your shoulders are going to hurt, and you're not going to be able to do all of that. Instead, I want to lay the foundation of you being able to do a tremendous amount of total work. And then as I as I start to transition you into a power program, into a strength sort of program, I'm going to pull some of that volume and let the intensity go up. And you've already built this foundation of, I can accomplish a lot of work and it doesn't beat me up anymore. So you, you can you can adapt to work capacity. And so a lot of our coaches for, for starting with online coaching that work with advanced lifters, we've, we've got a coach, um, his name's Austin Baracki. He works with, with Feigenbaum. He's a, he's a doctor of internal medicine, super smart guy. The primary metric he uses for his clients, which, and mostly he works with advanced lifters is tonnage, total tonnage. So you take the amount of, of weight that you're going to do times the reps times the sets, and you get your total tonnage that you can get high tonnage from high volume, or you can get, total tonnage up from high weight and a little less volume, and they can both come out to the same tonnage. And we're just trying to figure out what adaptation are we trying to get right now? Are we trying to build strength or are we trying to build recovery and work capacity? And for you right now, we're trying to build recovery and work capacity. But I, I, even with, uh, okay, it's supposed to be recovery work capacity, like my squat sessions, I hate yeah. my squat sessions yeah. right now. Because even though it's like, I, you know, I, I did 420 at the meet. Yeah. We're doing things like my last one was 310 pounds. Yeah. It's like three sets of eight. Yeah. And I seriously, I want to die. Yeah. Like, and I had. And you're sore. I'm sore. Like, yeah. I had DOMS, you know, yeah. delayed onset muscular Muscle soreness. soreness. Yeah. yeah. Um, that for the first time in like, I think a year. Yeah. So what's going on there? Like, it's sure. supposed to be recovery, but like, I want, I don't like it. So, so here's the difference. The difference is recovery between, we have to pick and choose our battles. Which one do we want to beat up? Do we want to beat up muscle and get like muscle fatigue, which is what we're doing right now? And, and and what's funny is, is that you've done this now for two weeks and your second week of squatting three sets of eight, you didn't get DOMS, right? So it, was, no. it just hits you this first week because DOMS comes in when you, it's something you haven't done before. I don't know if you've ever been roller skating with your kids. Have you ever gone roller skating? And you never been rollerblading. Okay. You never, and, and you do it rarely, I'm assuming, right. right? So, and when you do, and you do it for a while, you get real sore. Like your adductors, your groin gets sore because you're trying to keep your feet from whoop, sliding apart with, because you have wheels on your feet, right? Why did you get DOMS from rollerblading? Well, because it was just something you're not used to. Why do people get DOMS when they do straight leg deadlifts? Because they're not used to stretching their hamstring. So you're not used to doing three sets of eight. That's that's a bunch of reps for you after coming out of a high-intensity, low-volume. However, the muscular fatigue that you're, that you're receiving from the workouts right now are not really contributing to systemic fatigue. It's not, it's not fatiguing your... I hate the term central nervous system. That's, that's kind of a buzzword we use for people when they... But, but sometimes it doesn't beat up your joints... It doesn't make you feel like you were in a car accident. Like all these, it just is, it's in the first week or 10 days, it creates some muscle soreness because you're not used to it. And by three weeks in, you're going to be knocking this stuff out. You're like, this isn't that hard. And even, even when you were doing the workouts anyway, you, you weren't hitting in that first week, you weren't hitting RPE 9, RPE 10. You weren't grinding out your squats at three sets of eight. You were like, man, this is a lot of reps, but I was like winded. Like I I was, I was winded. winded. It was conditioning. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was not good. But yeah, it did get better. 
last or this week yeah. much better, even though the weight was heavier. Sure. Uh, so we'll do this for four weeks. What what will we move to next? Well, it depends on. <laughs> so what we have found with you is that you tend to do better a little heavier weight and a little less volume. I just I just, like less volume. Yeah, I know. That's what I fear. <laughs> so so my plan for you is I, I have another. <laughs> I don't even want to say. It. I have another style of DUP sort of training. Oh, that is less okay. reps. It's a lower amount of volume, total volume. It's a little bit less frequency, but it's heavier. And I think that will work better for you. And so it's it's just a you know variation on the kind of standard DUP. So so to put that in perspective, we won't ever do hypertrophy work in DUP in the eight to twelve rep range. We'll do your hypertrophy work in the five to six range. We'll do your strength work in the three to four range, and then we'll do lots of singles and doubles for your heavy stuff. And so in order to get volume, it would be more sets and less reps. So you think about it, you could do two sets of eight or you could do eight sets of two and have the total amount of volume. So it would be more like eight sets of two for you, six sets of three rather than two sets of eight because I think you'll just recover better that way. Okay. And so I'm at the point now too, I have to make the decision. Do I want to get stronger yeah. and or just kind of maintain? Correct. And I think I want to get stronger. Yeah, that's what you know. That's I mean, what everybody wants to do. I, I'm young. Because it's addicting. And I, yeah, it's addicting and it's enjoyable to be sure. like I deadlifted that much. Yes, yeah. it's, it's fun. Um, and, and you've got a coach to watch your form to make sure. You know, one of the reasons is for the last eighteen months you, you haven't injured yourself. You've had almost no injuries. Remember, the only time you've injured yourself is when yeah. you decided to go run sprints. <laughs> yeah, on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> So yeah, okay. So I was doing some like you know, for those of you, we were trying to launch this thing called the Strenuous Life, and I had to do. There's a sprinting aspect. There's like a badge. There's, we'll talk more about it later on, but there's a badge that requires you to sprint 50 yards and 100 yards in a certain amount of time. I hadn't sprinted in years, right? And I just went out there, did a little bit of warm not up. Not on your program from me, right? Not. Yeah, I was like, I didn't even tell Matt that no, I was doing this until after you had hurt yourself. And um, yeah, I I jacked up my hamstring. Yeah. It's like I I think it's like I did something to my tendon. Yeah, and it still hurts. Like yep. I'm still it's still bothering me. I didn't have that problem until now. Yeah, now, as a coach, what I told him was, look, man, if you, I I'm not in the business of, of dream crushing. <laughs> so yeah, I told Brett, I said, look, had you come to me three weeks ago and said, hey, I'd, I'd like to do some test sprints for this strenuous life thing we have coming up. I mean, no problem. I can I can get you there where you can sprint three weeks from now and you're not going to tear up your hamstring. The problem is you went from cold and untrained. And because you were actually testing times, you sprinted at 100% intensity on the very first day you had sprinted in 20 years. And so, so that's just asking for an injury. Right. So. But here's the thing, though. I, I ran as fast as I did in high school. Right. Like Why? a little bit faster. And I, it's barbell training. Because you're stronger. I'm stronger. Right. People like, the, yeah, power, strength leads to power. Absolutely. And power can lead to speed. Yeah. If, if I, you know, I was, a, I was a big 5A high school strength, strength coach for 10 years. Um, if I had a sprinter kid come to me and he wanted to get his like his 40 yard dash time down or a football player or sprinter, um, I, you know, in the first two weeks, I can clean up his form on his sprint form where he's 90 percent of correct. Right. Um, some of that is, you know, Charlie Francis sort of stuff. So I've got good 90 degree angles at his elbow. His face is relaxed. I can teach him exactly how to set up what, on the line to make sure he takes the least amount of steps possible for the 40 yard dash. That's about a two week system, right? And that might actually make his 40-yard dash, you know, I don't know, two-tenths of a second faster. And then what? Now I've fixed his form. A vertical jump's the same thing. I can teach you how to do a vertical jump and clean up your form on a vertical jump and maybe get some benefit out of that. I mean, I would get some benefit out of that. But then how do I get any benefit? The only way possible is to make you stronger. So here here you are, you know, a decade later, having not sprinted in, in many years, 
at significantly higher body weight, I'm assuming. Like, what did you weigh in high school? Uh, actually, I weighed more in high. I was oh, about the same. Yeah, I was. I was like, I was a lineman, I, but I was. I was a fast. Yeah, player. you were. Was, you were in good shape, and so and now you're. You know, now you're. You're years and years later, thirty-five, and, and yeah. much stronger, yeah. right? So. Um, and you're able to run just as fast as you did in high school, which is, you know, most 35 year old guys can't say. Yeah, that was that was enjoyable. Yeah, but now I'm still struggling with this sort of this. I think it's yeah. a tendon in my yeah, ha- hamstring sure. that it's jacked up. Well, Matt, this has been a, a great conversation. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Sure, our website is startingstrengthonlinecoaching.com. We can also find us through Google. It's really easy. We've got a great website there. You can learn about all about uh, starting strength online coaches and see the team and and read all about what we do. That we got a great FAQ, and of course, anybody has any questions, feel free to to find me. I'm on the website. Shoot me an email, and I do lots of Skype calls and just answering questions for people if they if they have any questions at all. Cool. Matt Reynolds, thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. My guest there was Matt Reynolds. He is my online barbell coach. He's also the head coach at startingstrengthonlinecoaching.com. You can find out more information about the training program there and the coaching there. Uh, And also Matt has offered a exclusive discount for podcast listeners. If you use AOM at checkout, you'll get $50 off your first month. Um, Also make sure to check out our links on the show notes at aom.is slash Reynolds, where you can delve deeper into this topic and find out more. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. If you enjoy the show and have gotten something out over the years, I'd really appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. That helps us out a lot. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.